You are tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to the Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I am the Miracle Hunter and creator of the website MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. We have a great program today. Really excited about it. Uh, We'll be covering my favorite miracle story, that of Our Lady of Guadalupe. She has great meaning to all of Mexico, many Catholics, and to me personally. Her feast day is coming up on December 12th, and the Church worldwide will be honoring her under this title. On today's program, I'll be interviewing Timothy Watkins, the director of the Guadalupe film The Blood and the Rose, as well as Jack Socha, the communication director for the beautiful Our Lady of Guadalupe Shrine in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And of course, we'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world on today, December 10th, in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. Each week, I'll be asking a trivia question and giving out a prize for a caller that gets the right answer. This week, we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork titled The Faces of Mary. It's a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady from around the world that forms a large, beautiful picture of the Madonna and Child. Trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia, an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, schools, or religious organizations to host Trivia Night fundraisers at local establishments. If you want more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. We always try to keep with the theme of uh, the program, so today we're going to have one related to Our Lady of Guadalupe. This might be tricky, this might be easy, we'll see. Today's question is, also the base ingredient of tequila, what plant's fibers were used to make tilmas like the one worn by St. Juan Diego and miraculously imprinted with the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe? That question again is, also the base ingredient of tequila, what plant's fibers were used to make tilmas like the one worn by St. Juan Diego? and miraculously imprinted with the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Again, for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. And to keep up to date with the latest in Miracle News, please visit miraclehunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, updates on my television series, Miracle Hunters, and any upcoming speaking engagements. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. Each week we'll be doing a segment entitled 365 Days with Mary. This is a new initiative of Miracle Hunter. In the course of my research over the last 15 years on apparitions, miraculous images, and all things Marian, I've come to realize that for each and every day of the year, somewhere in the world, there is a Marian title being celebrated. It never ceases to amaze me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her unceasingly throughout the year. 
This is a project I've been working on for several years now. Um, but through my research, I have assembled all the dates and their feasts into one resource. I call this project 365 Days with Mary. Each entry features a description, an image, and the history of the feast day, along with all the shrines and prayers that may be associated with them, and includes in visitor information and, those, and links for people wanting to see these places. The project is available in print in the form of a daily engagement calendar, that's a daily planner, as well as online at 365dayswithmary.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, where if you like us, you can automatically receive information about each feast day and learn more about our Blessed Mother and how she is honored around the world. So be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and visit the website 365dayswithmary.com to see the project. The print version in the form of a daily organizer makes a great Christmas gift. So we have uh, somebody calling in with the answer to the trivia question. Uh, caller on the line, Henrietta, are you there? Yes. Um, would it be from the cactus plant? The cactus plant or the agave plant, as it's called, and that is that is correct. So, oh, okay. Um, thank, thank you very much for, for calling in today. Um, and uh, please give our show producer your information, and we will send you out that, that image of uh, the faces of Mary. Thanks so much for calling in. Okay, thank you. So we got a quick answer to uh, our trivia question today. That's wonderful uh, that, that you called in with the answer. Now, if you go on the website, 365dayswithmary.com, you'll see that today's commemoration relates to the icon of the Mother of God of the sign. So the icon of the Mother of God of the sign depicts the Mother of God, uh, Theotokos, with her hands prayerfully uplifted, and her infant is on her lap in a sphere, and that's known as the mandorla uh, to iconographers. Uh, this depiction of the Mother of God is regarded as one of the very first of her iconographic images. Uh, in the mausoleum of St. Agnes in Rome, uh, there's a depiction of the Mother of God with her hand raised in prayer with the infant Christ sitting at her knees. This depiction is you know, estimated to be around the 4th century. There's also an ancient Byzantine icon of the Mother of God, Nicopia, from the 6th century, uh, where our, our Holy Mother is depicted seated upon a throne and holding her hands over an oval shield with the image of Christ. Uh, icons of the Mother of God, known as the Sign, uh, they appeared in the 11th and 12th centuries and were so-called because of the miraculous sign uh, given in the Novgorod in Russia at that icon in the year 1170. So please visit 365dayswithmary.com to find out more about the icon of the Mother of God of the Sign and find out information on the shrine in which it is housed. Be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and visit the website 365dayswithmary.com to see the project. The print version in the form of a daily organizer makes a great Christmas gift. This is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. And for more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. I was recently uh, doing a little bit of research on Our Lady of Guadalupe, and I was looking at some documents provided to me by uh, Father Martinez Cowley, who's a scholar-priest who I've gotten to know over the years, uh, who is an author and expert on all things Guadalupe. He's even translated the story of Guadalupe from the original Nahuatl, which is the language spoken at the time of the apparitions in Mexico. 
You can read his beautiful translation on his Abbey's website at trappistabbey.org. One of the documents he shared with me uh, contained the testimonies collected as part of the Informaciones Guadalupana, which is the formal inquiry and investigation conducted by the Church from February 18th to March 22nd, 1966. In this investigation, over 100 witnesses that were ranging in age from 80 to over 100 years were there, and they testified what they knew of Juan Diego and testified of him being a holy man. Of course, the apparitions traditionally are known to have happened in the year 1531. Uh, these people who testified uh, were basing their testimony on relatives who may have known Juan Diego personally. So that's fairly interesting to read what they said. They testified to the authenticity of the miracle and, um, and also to the holiness of the man himself. There's, there's somewhat of a bit of controversy uh, regarding uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe. It really is amongst the first, if not the first, approved uh, apparition uh, of the Virgin Mary. Uh, there are many around the world, um, and this was the, one of the very first that received a full investigation. And that investigation happened uh, several times. There's a, there's a lack of documentation that is around... Uh, the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, the story, the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, which occurred according to tradition in 1531. Many of the other apparitions have more written documentation, but the people in that time transmitted their information, their stories, through uh, an oral tradition, uh, and that tradition has shown to hold up over time. Uh, but they did conduct a secondary investigation in the year 1960 or 1666. Excuse me in which they interviewed all these witnesses and got the documentation. Aside from the details of the story of the apparition, which we're going to go over later in the show, really what one of the fantastic things about Our Lady of Guadalupe is, of course, the tilma, the miraculous tilma. Uh, without that, uh, people may question the story, but the tilma is there in the Basilica in Mexico City. Scientists have in- investigated it, examined it, and they still don't know how it was made. It's, it's an amazing thing. Um, so I'm going to go over some of the, the miracles associated with the Tilma and stuff that really stumps me as a miracle investigator and uh, really attracts the world's attention. But um, one of the interesting things was is the, um, the fibers used to make the Tilma, as we found in our trivia question, came from that agave cactus. I was lucky enough when I went there on pilgrimage some years ago to go to a cactus farm. And these cactuses were used for many things, for making paper, making soap, probably most popularly, uh, in addition to making clothes, uh, woven fabric, they made tequila as well. So that all came from the same agave plant. But one of the things with these uh, these cloaks, these tilmas that were uh, created, you know, they're they're only meant for a short time. They decay over 30 years or so. The tilma, if in fact traditionally it came from 1531, it's been around almost 500 years now, and that's quite a bit more than the 30 years that they're expected to last. And for many of those years, the tilma sat unprotected uh, in front of candles and other smoke uh, in the basilica there. So uh, pretty impressive that the the object itself has, has remained intact. In the year 1921, there was great turmoil in Mexico. Uh, There's a lot of civil unrest. Uh, there was uh, a lot of antagonism by the Mexican authorities towards the Catholic Church. And uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, being the greatest object of devotion in Mexico, uh, was not left untouched in the sense that 
somebody tried to destroy it. So in the year 1921, a person hid a bomb inside a flower vase and placed it in front of the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe in the Basilica. Well, the bomb went off and destroyed many things in the Basilica, but the image, of course, remains untouched. Another great miracle. In the year 1785, there was a worker who was cleaning the frame around the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and he spilled nitric acid solvent all over the image. Well, nitric acid should eat that fiber up and destroy uh, the image in any normal situation, but the miraculous tilma remains. Uh, one of the interesting things that I find, and, you know, sometimes these things, you know, you people, people uh, really pull things out of nowhere, but this one is fascinating to me. There is a star pattern on the tilma. Uh, if you look closely, you'll see uh, gold stars on the blue cloak. And there is a scientist, the name was Mario Rojas Sanchez, who decided to map out the star pattern and see if they could match it up to the actual star pattern of the skies. This scientist claims that the stars, in fact, do match up to the pattern occurring on December 12, 1531, as seen from Mexico City. You can go on MiracleHunter.com to see this matchup of the stars and the constellations in reality. It's pretty impressive. Um, NASA scientists have, in fact, uh, examined the tilma, and they have found that um, they cannot identify the paint or the coloring on it as anything known to man. So they're saying it's not animal, it's not plant, it's not mineral. They simply don't know what it is. So, um, you know, scientists over many, many years have examined the image and still don't know how it was created. Additionally, artists have looked at the image and they don't know the method in which the fabric was painted. So amazing stuff. And, uh, one, one, one final miracle that, that uh, enthusiasts of Guadalupe love to point to is that there was this scientist whose name was Dr. Jose Aste Tonsman, and he actually did an ophthalmological study on the eyes of the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, um, and he found reflections of at least four people in those eyes. Um, you know, that uh, would be Juan Diego, the bishop, etc., um, who were in that scene where Juan Diego reveals the Tilma. Um, is it a case of pareidolia or people seeing what they want to see? That's ah, kind of interesting. Uh, go on MiracleHunter.com and you will see the images for yourself blown up uh, for you to investigate for yourself. So uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, an amazing uh, apparition, an amazing story, and it is something that has the highest church approval um, bishops and popes have uh, commented about it. Uh, Pius X in the year 1910 declared her the patroness of Latin America. Uh, Pope Pius XII in 1945 called her the Queen of Mexico, Empress of the Americas, and painted by brushes that were not of this world. In 1979, John Paul II, who made a, a famous visit to Mexico City, said she is the star of the evangelization. And, of course, Juan Diego was canonized by Pope John Paul II in Mexico City in the year 2002. So the apparition and image related to this uh, miraculous event has incredible church approval, and there is a feast day that's celebrated around the world. You are listening to Michael O'Neill. I am the Miracle Hunter. Our first guest today is Timothy Watkins. He is the director of the Guadalupe Film the Blood and the Rose. Welcome you to the show, Tim. 
Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, what a what a great synopsis you have. I uh, I don't know if I have anything to add. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks very much for saying that. It was a few years back when I first met you at a showing of the rough cut of the film at DePaul University in Chicago, and since then the film has been become quite popular, and you've had an appearance on EWTN and other outlets, and I gather that the film is still showing in parishes around the country. Yes, it's actually uh, it'll be shown several times this week in different places around the country, as you can imagine, and uh, we actually have a, a, a goal we just established for next year. We want to have 225 showings in the month of May, so we're looking for uh, parishes that want to participate in the program. Great. Um, now, how did you first become attracted to the Guadalupe story, and what inspired you to take it to the next level and make a film about it? Well, um, kind of a, a funny little story. I had a film in 2004 that I did on Ronald Reagan called In the Face of Evil, uh, Reagan's War and Word and Deed, and, and uh, that had some interesting fans of them, uh, included Steve McAvity, who was Mel Gibson's producer, um, most notably on The Passion. A couple of guys from uh, Mexico called Steve and wanted to get a documentary made, and Steve said, you know, being a film guy, he, he makes theatrical films, but he said, I know this guy who might make uh, might want to make it because he knew I was on a, a pretty renewed uh, spiritual journey myself. I'd, I'd been uh, uh, awakened at some point in time in 2002 and, and, and on my own journey. And Steve called up and asked me if I'd be interested. I said, are you kidding me? I'd love to. And um, I have to say, like, probably like most um, Catholics that aren't of Mexican descent, um, knew very little about Our Lady of Guadalupe. They thought it was just some kind of Mexican thing, you know, and um, boy, were my eyes opened, and uh, what an incredible story it has become. You know, it's it's one of those things, you're, the, the the case that you laid out for the actual image of Our Lady of Guadalupe is, is a great part of the story, but, you know, our our film takes, takes it all the way back to Luke, the gospel writer. And yeah, that's one of the things I actually loved about the film, was it attempted to give the full historical background to the Guadalupe devotion and things that most people did not know, um, including the origin of her name, the history immediately preceding the apparitions. Can, can you talk a little bit about that history as it led to the apparition event of 1531? Absolutely. I, you know, the story that most people don't know, and, and one of the trick questions, and you might want to use this for your one of your trivia questions in the future is, is, do you know where Guadalupe is? Most people will answer in Mexico, but of course Guadalupe is actually a city in Spain. And it's uh, uniquely tied to the apparition. Uh, and the way that it becomes tied, and I'll try and do this in, in quick fashion, but I, I also don't want to ruin the, the, the people watching the film. <laughs> but uh, um, Luke was uh, also known as an artist, uh, and it's believed, and th- again, this is believed, not proven, that he carved a statue of the Virgin Mary holding Jesus. Um, whether that statue was carved by him or someone else, that statue was buried with him. And when his body was moved at a later date, they t- took this statue out and venerated it. And then several uh, years later, um, in 596, Pope Gregory the Great actually gave that statue to Bishop Leander of Seville, who later became Saint Leander of Seville, since the Spaniards were such uh, uh, incredible defenders of the Catholic faith. Well, in the beginning of the 700s, when the Muslims started to invade uh, Spain, they're very iconoclastic, uh, having destroyed a lot of the icons of the church over the years in the Middle East and around the world. 
they feared that this statue would be destroyed, so they took it and buried it a couple hundred miles up into Spain near a riverbed. Well, as it turned out, uh, and, and the Muslims and the Moors, Muslim Moors uh, continued to occupy Spain, they actually named this river the Wolf River. Wolf in Latin is Lupe, river in Arabic is Guade. It became known as the area of Guadalupe. Well, at, at a certain point in time in the uh, 11th century, uh, an apparition occurred to a shepherd named Gil Cordero, and he was told to uh, that a statue was buried there and to unearth it and have a chapel built. And so he told the ecclesiastical authorities, and they built a chapel. And you know, it's believed among many Marian occurrences in Spain through the 800-year war with the Muslims uh, that turned the tide of the war, so to speak. But uh, that was another particular one that they, they said turned the tide of the war. And as the war went on and on, they, they grew the church bigger and bigger to the point where it became the shrine of Our, of our Lady of Guadalupe in Extremadura, Spain. And uh, in the late 1400s, 1491, 1492, Queen Isabella used that shrine as a refuge. And as the 800 years of war was winding down in Granada, when they were pushing the uh, Moors out of the country uh, for the last time, uh, she was in this shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe when a young man by the name of Christopher Columbus came to visit her about this exciting voyage he wanted to take to the West. And uh, lo and behold, that's our connection to the Americas. Uh, signed there, the documents were between Christopher Columbus and Queen Isabella, allowing him to go to the Americas, funded by the Spanish government. Also in the town next to Guadalupe uh, was this place called Medellin, which is where a guy named Hernan Cortez grew up. And, of course, Hernan Cortez was the liberator of Mexico. Uh, some will argue that he was quite brutal in his track, but, again, it was a, it was a brutal war either way. With the, with the Mexica Aztecs at the time. And we have to remember, uh, they had their flaws too. Both sides had their flaws. And uh, the third thing tied to Guadalupe is a uh, priest by the name of Father Zumaraga was in monastery for a time at the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Extremadura, Spain. And of course, he later became Bishop Zumaraga in Mexico who received Juan Diego in the Tilma. So it's this really unique Thing that kind of globalizes what many thought to be just uh, an apparition that occurred down in Mexico has kind of this global feel to it. And it's no wonder why she was later proclaimed by John Paul II to be the patroness of all life, which of course is all life in all the world from conception to natural death. And when you consider what else was going on in the world at the time with the Protestant Reformation and the loss of Catholics uh, to the Protestant revolt, uh, it, the timing of it is pretty pretty interesting, wouldn't you agree? It is. It's very amazing, and, and you know, we've seen this throughout time and throughout history, where Europe continues to suffer today and have its issues where Latin America and Africa are growing. And, uh, you know, and again, in, even in Latin America, there are some difficulties. Um, but, you know, we, we are no doubt... Um, I don't want to say on our heels, but we, we've got a battle before us, and um, we need more people calling on Our Lady through the rosary and prayer uh, to help guide us to do the right things. And uh, you know, one of the things we hope to accomplish with the film, you know, of course, the, the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe is certainly magnificent uh, in in any way, shape, or way you look at it. It's proven not to be made by man. So, you know, here is an image that has this incredible story on it. 
and uh, you know, we, we we like to say that if it wasn't made by man, who was it made by? Well, your choices are pretty simple. It was either made by the devil or God, and I think I think we can all agree that it was God uh, that that put this image here for us to observe. But the the story that's told on it actually lays out the words, and what we say is the word of God. And so, yeah, I, I noticed that you had uh, Monsignor Eduardo Chavez as part of your film, and uh, I, I had the pleasure of meeting him some years ago. And in his book, uh, Mother of the Civilization of Love, he really gets into the uh, details of what's explained on the Tilma and is uh, communicated to the people of that area. And your film attempts to to bring that out as well. Sure, we we in a much shorter time frame because you know we had to try and keep the film to about ninety minutes. I would tell you the first version of the script was about uh, four hundred pages, so that's that's about <laughs> four hundred minutes. So we we had a lot of cutting to do. Uh, such an incredible story, but you know, proven that there is all of this messaging on the image. It it is the word of God, and it begs us to. Uh, one of our one of the things we like to try and encourage people is to have an authentic image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, not some artistic rendering. Um, because when you have an artistic rendering, it's kind of like man stealing God's thunder, so to speak. Um, and there's too magnificent of a story on this image to to you know have something. And and it's too available. The authentic image is too available to get. We shouldn't have authentic images. What would you say is your favorite part of the image or of the story that, that talks to you personally and maybe influenced the production of the film? What What is the message of Our Lady of Guadalupe for you? Well, it, it's actually kind of, it's very interesting in the aspect that here you have this magnificent image of Our Lady. And uh, I, really, while I can't even worthily reach for the tassels of Our Lady's gown, what really stood out to me in this story and as I grew close to this was Juan Diego. Here was a very simple man who's described as childlike and humble. Um, and, and when we look at, at our history, there's perhaps a hundred named lay saints. There's lots of lay martyrs, but named saints. Uh, there's, there's about a hundred or less lay saints, and Juan Diego is one of those. And all Juan Diego did was go to Mass more than once a week, which is something we encourage everybody to do. He went three to four times a week, went to confession, he prayed, and he spread the word. Isn't that easy? Doesn't that sound just really easy? And he, but he, and he also put in the great effort of going to catechism class, walking for miles. Right. I mean, we do so little compared to, to what he was doing. Right, but, but even still, by all measures, that's not a difficult chore. Um, and, and, and what he did allowed people to have a change of heart to convert. And, and he set the table for that. And this is something that we can all try and do. I mean, we can't be like the Virgin Mary, <laughs> but we can be like Juan Diego. And, and so, you know, Juan Diego's Nahuatl name was uh, um I can never say that completely right, but translated meant messenger eagle. And so we always believe that there's a little bit of messenger eagle in each and every one of us, and the messenger eagle is to spread the word. And so, you know, to hear the word and spread the word, and I think we'll all have an effect from that. That's great. And um, I, I know uh, Eduardo Verstuji was involved with the film of Bella fame, and, uh, and of course, as I mentioned before, Monsignor Chavez was involved. Um, can you tell me of any other aspects of the production value of the film that would, would appeal to listeners? Well, it is a, a uh, um, I, you know, I guess being the, the director, <laughs> it is a very well-done film. It's a $1.5 million production. 
Um, it's got beautiful music in it, and the story is poetic in nature. And it, uh, it most often uh, I hear after the film is done, uh, I did not know that is what someone will, will often say. There's a lot that I didn't know that I learned. Um, throughout time and throughout history, some of our, our most revered people were storytellers. And so this, this is a, a big story, which people can uh, gather into their own and then start sharing with other people as a miracle, and you as the miracle hunter, you know, a miracle sharer, uh, can tell stories that will intrigue people that may awaken their faith or make them look over the uh, hedges, so to speak, back into the church uh, to find their, their own spiritual awakening. Um, so I, I think there's a lot that people can do, and, and uh, we've got the film available, and we've got study guides. Our first study guide is on the Virgin Mary, and the second one that's about to be released is on how we can all be like Juan Diego. Oh, that's great. Now, can you tell uh, listeners about, first, how they can see the film and perhaps even organize the showing, and also how do they get the study guide and book? as well. Absolutely. If they go to thebloodandtherose.com, they can uh, contact us about doing an event in their parish. And the way we've been doing events in the parishes have been uh, to work with a either the parish or a local charity there so that there can be a, a mutual benefit for the film and, and benefit for a charity. And uh, putting on events, we have uh, uh, different reflections that they can use or they can have us come out and become be speakers for the event. And they're very inspirational spiritual events. One of our events, we had reported a lady uh, from Lincoln, Nebraska, attended the event, felt so moved to be uh, to try to be a messenger eagle that she went out, got a couple of people, and, and uh, went to a Planned Parenthood clinic and saved three lives. Um, so, so moved people can be by the calling of a messenger eagle that they can actually make a difference. That, that you know, uh, you know, we we've heard this with Bella before. You know, a thousand plus lives have been saved because of Bella, the Bella effect. And we hope to do something the same to try and raise awareness for life because there is a strong life message. Of course, she is pregnant in this image. And uh, one of the really amazing things about the image is, is if you mentioned uh, the cupped hands, which she's making a home, her knee is bent, her head is bent, which means she's reverent. And as Monsignor Chavez says in the film, this is an indication that she is telling us that there is something far more important than her in this image. And of course, it's the child in the womb. And what could be more precious than the child in the womb? And, uh, that's right. Uh, yeah, the um, Our Lady of Guadalupe is, of course, the pro-life image that of Our Lady that's that's used around the world. Absolutely. Um, and uh, that image itself is the most reproduced image of Our Lady uh, anywhere. So I would say uh, attempted. <laughs> <laughs> they attempt to reproduce it, but it's really simple. Right. They should just go get an authentic one rather than trying to reproduce it. it it's the story. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. Even artists of the time were given the challenge of trying to reproduce the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and and nobody could quite get it right. Which kind of that that alone spoke to the authenticity of the image right there. Well, there's something magical. I, I had the the wonderful experience of having gotten into the safe with the, with the Tilma and getting to get one inch, you know, nose distance from the image itself to look at the bumps and the fibers and the agave and cactus fibers that, that are there that uh, that were in, in some brilliant way by God used to accentuate things like her lip and so on and so forth. I mean, it's just amazing how this rough cactus tilma fiber uh, actually added life to the image in itself and how impossible it is for anybody to recreate even with today's technology. Um, it's just absolutely impossible. Well, th thank you so much, Tim, for joining us and sharing uh, your personal story and the wonders of Our Lady of Guadalupe. 
Um, again, I, I w- I'm with Tim Watkins, and his film is The Blood and the Rose, and you can find that at thebloodandtherose.com. Hey, thanks so much, Mike. Go ahead. One more thing before I go. I would encourage anybody who has the time to go on a pilgrimage to the shrine of Our, Our Lady of Guadalupe in the Cross, Wisconsin. I know you've got Jack on next. I've been there twice. Extraordinarily beautiful place to go. Um, it's one of our treasures in the United States, hidden up in Wisconsin, but uh, absolutely beautiful place. Highly recommend it. Absolutely. Thanks for that plug, and uh, I'm excited to talk to Jack as well. Thanks so much for your time today, Tim. God bless. All right, that was Tim Watkins, director of The Blood and the Rose. We appreciate him uh, joining us today. This is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. And for more information on this program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. I'm really excited for our next interview. I visited many shrines and places of worship around the United States, and my favorite one of all is the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in La Crosse, Wisconsin. It's a beautiful, well-executed shrine, exquisite in every detail. The artwork of the shrine, both in the church itself and on the property, uh, creates an incredible prayerful experience, and it's really a must-see destination for a pilgrimage. Anyone with a devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe really needs to pay the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in the cross a visit. Next up on the program is uh, someone from the Communication Department of the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe, Jack Sosha. Uh, welcome to the show. It's good to talk to you again, Jack. Well, thank you, Michael. It's very nice to hear from you as well, and thank you for uh, allowing us to be on the show today. Great. As you know, I've been personally uh, quite involved with the Shrine over the years and was blessed to see the Church's dedication and have made many friends associated with the Shrine, including the family that first donated the land there. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how the Shrine first got started? Many people might not expect to find a Shrine to Our Lady of Guadalupe in La Crosse, Wisconsin, of all places especially something that's 103 acres. You know, they think it's going to be a widening in the road somewhere, and they're shocked when they get there that there's this fantastic church on top of a hill and all of the artwork and the marble and the memorial to the unborn and just all the things that are there. All of this was the inspiration of our former bishop in La Crosse, uh, then Bishop Burke, now Cardinal Burke, and he had always wanted to build a shrine of some kind in the La Crosse Diocese. He wanted a place, as he said, for, for families to come together and also for people to come in times of great celebration and also great need. Now, his original idea, and this is back before the turn of the century, uh, in 2000 or so, was to build a smaller shrine to Our Lady of Fatima. And keep in mind that, like most other shrines, even though we are here with the approval of the diocese. We are not part of the diocese. We're not a parish. And so consequently, any money that is required to build a shrine has to be, come from volunteers, not from collection plates. Well, the first project just did not pan out. And then about the same time, uh, Pope John Paul II was in Mexico City for the sainthood, the canonization of Juan Diego, the, the, the peasant around whom all these things occurred. And in his homily, he said that Our Lady of Guadalupe is for all of the Americas, not just South America. And then Bishop Burke heard that, and he he took a pilgrimage down to Mexico City and came back with a very strong feeling he should try to build a shrine again, but this time it should be a shrine to Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, star of the new evangelization, mother of the unborn, all the things that he, he strongly, strongly promotes. And as you talk about miracles happening, 
At the same time, there was a local family that had 93 acres of property. They were concerned about what this beautiful untouched bluff what would happen to it in the future? You know, would an eminent domain project take it away from them? What would happen to it? And their late father had said he always had wished something public could have been done with it, but he would have preferred it to be something religious. So they went to the bishop and they said, are you serious about building your shrine? He says, yes, I am. He says, great. We'd like to give you these 93 acres. So around 2000, 2001, we had 93 acres. We needed to buy 10 more for the road to come in and for future expansion. We had the plans on paper, and we had no money, nothing. And uh, their developers got wind of the project and were actually trying to buy those 10 acres before the shrine could to build condominiums right in front of the shrine, if you can imagine what that would have been like. And our former director, a Franciscan sister, she said, I prayed and I prayed, that somebody would help us out with this before this happened. And a gentleman from Chicago came to visit, and he heard about the story. And on the spot, he wrote a rather large check. And he said, you buy those 10 acres and keep the change. So so I, I don't know if you want to call these things miracles or not, but I uh, I had a reporter from the secular press call me on the um, the dedication year of the church. And he said, doesn't there have to be a miracle before you build a shrine? And I said, sir, in many ways, it was a miracle that it was built, because all these things came to place. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. The church is only five and a half years old. And really, even though the grounds have been there and many of the devotional areas, as you know, have been there for quite some time, it really felt complete with the dedication of the church uh, five and a half years ago. And I always tell newcomers to the shrine that the first Christmas that the church was open, I worked with Dr. Brian Luckner, uh, organist, and I, I engineered a, a CD of Christmas playing Christmas carols. And it was the first time Christmas carols were ever played on that 2005 organ. And then I asked him, I said, how long is this organ going to keep working? It's all powered by air, no electronics. And he said, oh, well, if you maintain it correctly, it'll go, oh, two, three centuries. <laughs> so, these, so these people coming to see us, you know, it's only five and a half years old, and I, I look at little children and I say, when you're as old as I am or older, you can come to tell your great-grandkids that you were here at the beginning of this thing. Uh, it's absolutely astounding that this is here. It, it is, and I, uh, the organ is just one of many beautiful elements of the Shrine Church with the artwork on the side aisles and uh, the altar itself and the uh, paintings uh, by Anthony Visco, uh, all an unbelievable collection of art and presentation. It's, it's really quite beautiful. Can you tell us a little bit more about, in addition to the Shrine Church, um, when a pilgrim comes to visit, what are the highlights that they might experience in visiting the Shrine? Well, obviously the, the Church is the, the focal point on top of the hill, and we traditionally put pilgrim churches high on hills so they can be seen from a distance. But when you first arrive, and there's no charge for anything, there's plenty of parking, there's a beautiful visitor center uh, with restrooms and a gift shop and, and, a, and a cafe, so you can stop and kind of get oriented and get a map. Um, we also have a new orientation film, which now has Spanish subtitles as well, which is something we accomplished this year. But you go up what is called the Meditation Trail. It's roughly a half a mile, and for those who have difficulty walking, you know, knee replacements or whatever the case may be, we have a wonderful group of volunteers, and we have golf carts we can give you a ride up, so don't be afraid to come if you think you're going to have to exert yourself. But one of the first things you'll see 
is the votive candle chapel. It was one of the first things that was built long before the church was built. There's 576 votive candles in a, oh, it's kind of a four-sided pyramid-like structure inside this beautiful building with stained glass windows all around with all of the uh, Marian apparitions represented. And uh, people light these candles for a week or a month or a year, and uh, there's usually a volunteer up there explaining what the different windows represent. Uh, It's a great way to start your trip. Further up, we have a magnificent bronze statue of St. Kateri, uh, the first Native American saint. And uh, that was actually... uh, designed with help from the local Native American community, so her her garb is very authentic. And I have to tell you this story. Five and a half years ago, when then Archbishop Burke was blessing that statue, and I was there taking pictures, it's not unusual that we have people in our area, but while he was doing the ceremony and the blessing, eagles were circling high above that statue, calling out, and when he finished the, the, the blessing, they left. And it was one of those things where if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, I wouldn't have believed it. Um, We have a St. Joseph devotional area, which is a beautiful bronze casting further up. And then in the plaza where the church is, uh, there is a statue of the the moment um, when St. Juan Diego opened his tilma. And this was done by the same artist that did the one um, in Mexico City as well. And then you're in the church, which is gorgeous. Past the church is our memorial to the unborn, where uh, we have a magnificent, large, bronze casting of Our Lady of Guadalupe sitting, seated, holding infants in her arms. And it is one of a kind. Uh, it is one of the most comforting and touching things you've ever seen. And next year, um, Anthony Visco will be adding another statue in the memorial of a guardian angel, which I can just tell you from the few sketches I've seen is going to be magnificent. So that's that's right there. A little further up, our outdoor rosary walk and our outdoor stations of the cross. And I'm a little prejudiced, but I think that the bronzes in our stations of the cross are among the best ones I've ever seen. And, of course, the rosary walk is beautiful with the Hail Mary in English, it's also in Spanish, and because at that time Bishop Burke was here, he had a special affection for our Cambodian, our Hmong community. It's also in Hmong, and also the language of Juan Diego. All these little things have been done, and they've been done with the best materials possible, with the eye that people coming here three or four hundred years from now will have the same experience that, uh, that you'll have coming here, say, next year. Absolutely. It's it's beautiful down to every detail. Like you say, the materials used are the perfect ones and the the execution is top notch. So it's it's really a beautiful, beautiful place to see. Um Jack, now this is the big week for the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe, of course, the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. <laughs> yeah, it's our big one. Uh Cardinal Burke will actually arrives um let's see, I guess he's arriving today, uh, from the Vatican and he will be there on Thursday. Um, we have special events going on. We we do a, um, uh, a an Hispanic tradition called Waking Up Mary, uh, Las Mañanitas, with mariachis and all this singing to the statue or to the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And uh, that is always just an incredible uh, thing to see because we have uh, members, we have a fairly large uh, Hispanic community in our diocese, and many come in traditional costumes. They dress up their little kids. It's a, a joyous event. Uh, and then we have a pan dulces, a sweet bread, you know, sweet uh, uh, cookies and things for for snacks, which are traditional, and then Cardinal Burke will be leading the um, 
uh, we were celebrating the Mass at 1215, alternating between English and Spanish as well. So it is just a huge day. Um, there'll be special things going on at the, at the cafe as well. But uh, uh, it's just one of the most um, joyous and uplifting days that, uh, that you'll ever see. It's just uh, full of happiness, and uh, it's our day. That's right. It's, uh, I've been there on several occasions for that feast day, and it's, it's an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. And what else would you, uh, of course, Christmas is right around the corner as well. Uh, what can people expect to see at the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, following the feast day leading up to Christmas? It's, it's beautifully decorated already. Uh, it is just a gorgeous thing to see with you know lots of candles and lights and uh, things like that. Contrary to what you would think, we do not do, for example, a, uh, a midnight mass because we're not a parish. We're a pilgrim church, and we really don't want to interfere with the work of the parishes in the area. Uh, for the same reason, we don't, generally speaking, uh, do weddings and things like that because we think that should be something for your own priest in your own parish. But we will be open up till noon on Christmas Eve, and then we will be open again on the 26th. Um, and it's just gorgeous over there right now. We have lots of music playing. Um, it's just a lot of people come even during the cold weather. You know, I was just talking to uh, our, our director. Uh, by the way, I, I because I'm only there half the time, I do other work for other places, um, we have the good help of a Franciscan sister, Sister Ancilla, who has uh, taken the uh, uh, gratefully taken the title of Director of Communications, and she is there all the time. So with, between the two of us, we've gotten a tremendous amount done. But we've had, this year, uh, 61,000 visitors to the shrine, which is a new record for us. Uh, during the winter months, it does drop off because it gets cold. But, again, we do have the carts to drive all year long, so if you need a ride up to the church to go to Mass or confession, um, by all means, uh, go up there. We have our Franciscan friars there as well, and, uh, you know, it's you're welcome all year long. We're open 9 to 4.30 through the winter months, and then sometime, I believe, in June, uh, we start keeping the grounds open till 7 because the sun is up later and it's just really pretty out there. Uh, you're always- That's great information. And Jack, uh, how can how can pilgrims find out more about the shrine? How can they schedule a visit, a pilgrimage to the well, shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe? Go to the website, guadalupeshrine.org. And then you also can call us, um, and well, there's a, a, a man named Greg Marco, M-A-R-C-O. He is our pilgrimage coordinator. It is his job to assist pilgrims in their needs. So if you have a, a group that wants to have a special lunch there or a special, uh, you're going to con celebrate, you know, with your own priest. He has, he knows what works and what doesn't, and he also can tell you uh, what else is going on that day, so you don't show up on a day that's really, really busy or whatever the case may be. But uh, the the local number is six zero eight seven eight two five four four zero. If you go to the shrine a website at guadalupeshrine.org, there's more contact information, and uh, he can send you a copy of the orientation video, so you can, if you're coming on a bus or whatever, you can watch it ahead of time or watch it with your group before you leave. And whether it's five people or 500, uh, Greg can help you out. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Jack. Uh, you give a great overview of the shrine, and I hope that people do vis- uh, visit the shrine. It's a beautiful place. It is wonderful. And you have a blessed Advent and a Merry Christmas, okay? Same to you. Thanks for joining us today. Take care now. And that was Jack Sosha from the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Uh, again, it's really one of the most beautiful shrines in the United States, if not the most beautiful. And I recommend uh, anybody with a devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe or in that area 
to stop by. It's it's really incredible. Um, and Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe dot uh, org will be the will be the URL to get there. And that's that's it for our show. Uh, thank you for joining us to honor Our Lady of Guadalupe today. Uh, for more information on Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, one of the best, most developed pages on the Miracle Hunter website is the one devoted to Our Lady of Guadalupe, and it features uh, a background and timeline of all the events surrounding Guadalupe, all the the, uh, the miracles, the investigations, the entire history is there in a timeline for you to see. Uh, there's also images of the tilma, uh, including uh, blow-ups of the eyes to show the images that uh, Dr. Tonsman identified as being uh, images of Juan Diego reflected in the eyes. And there also are prayers. Uh, there's ten or so prayers and books uh, for reading more on Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I'd like to conclude, conclude today's program with uh, the prayer written by John Paul II. And of course, when a pope writes a prayer about an apparition, he is implicitly approving it, or explicitly in this case, um, and here's his prayer. Virgin of Guadalupe, Mother of the Americas, grant to our homes the grace of loving and respecting life in its beginnings with the same love which you conceived in your womb, the life of the Son of God. Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of fair love, protect our families so that they may always be united, and bless the upbringing of our children. We beg you grant us a great love for all the holy sacraments, which are, as it were, the signs that your Son left us on earth. Thus, Holy Mother, with the peace of God in our conscience, with our hearts free from evil and hatred, we will be able to bring all true joy and true peace, which comes to us from your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who with God the Father and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. And again, that was the prayer of Pope John Paul II. can be found on the website, miraclehunter.com, on the page dedicated to Our Lady of Guadalupe. That's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank our guest, Director Tim Watkins of The Blood and the Rose, and Jack Sosha from the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Cross for joining us on this episode. Remember to check out MiracleHunter.com and 365DaysWithMary.com. Next week, we'll be covering the miraculous origin of the St. Michael the Archangel Prayer, which is tied to a vision received by Pope Urban VIII. Thank you for joining me on Miracle Hunter where it doesn't matter if you're a skeptic or a believer, but it's always worth the hunt. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.